You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thanks again, Megan and Preston. I'm Johnny. Use he, him pronouns. We'll start this message that I hope encourages you in some way with a reading from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And I would like a volunteer to read that. Just speak into this microphone so we can hear you. And there's also people on Zoom back there too. You want to just say hello, Zoom, to them? Maybe not. You can just, we're here, we're having a little community. That's, they're there because they couldn't make it or maybe they weren't feeling well or they had an exposure or something like that. We want to keep our community together even when there is reasons to be separate at times and to isolate. So just uh, been an extraordinary two years. So just want to note that. Any volunteers to read? It's not beyond me to pick somebody. Okay, Tokyo. There we go. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with mother, with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 12. Thank you, Tokia. Let's pray before we keep going, shall we? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Epiphany is a story that celebrates the revelation and the manifestation of Jesus to the entire world. It marks a time when the Magi called here in the New Revised Standard Version, wise men. I'll refer to them as Magi from here on out, though. These mysterious people from the East came to visit Jesus. Epiphany is the moment where the revolution that Jesus brings to us becomes, moves from being a localized one for a specific group of people to a globalized one 
The Jewish people are awaiting their Savior. And they know something is coming because God has always been faithful to them. God's faithfulness has been promised to them and they've felt it. God's love endures. God's faithfulness has always been true. And so when Jesus comes, even when he comes in a way that is unusual to them, as a baby in this case, and by the way, let us remember that when Jesus returns, he will probably surprise us as much as he did those Jewish people. They were still expecting him despite the unusual fashion in which he came. The rest of the world really had no idea that God was going to deliver them too, and that's what makes this event significant. It was Israel's previous occupying force, the Persians, the Persian Empire. Towards the end of the Old Testament, that's, where, uh, that's how Israel is occupied. It was them, the Persians, that came to genuflect and to worship this baby Savior. That is to they kneel in worship. And this time, it's the Hebrew leaders, the Jewish leaders that are offended. This is in direct contrast to Pharaoh, who was threatened by Moses and Yahweh in Exodus. It is the foreign king in Exodus who was offended by the, the Hebrew God. But here, this profound irony occurs, and it is the Jews who are offended and the foreigner who comes to worship. Something new is happening. Matthew tells the story. And we, I love that it's Matthew because his gospel is oriented toward Jewish people. It begins with a genealogy that tells us that Jesus was born into the line of David, restoring the dynastic line, the monarchic line. The son of David is here. In his telling, he is expanding their understanding of the kingship of Jesus to the whole world, expanding its reign, but also their hearts, expanding their hearts for who was included. Matthew includes this story in the gospel to make it inclusive to Gentiles, to foreigners, for people that weren't Jewish. The rival kings here are not a threat to God but rather they are submitting to God. This story is about including people who are different than us in our body. In fact, by and large, this group right here, I don't know all of you very well, but I think that we're all kind of guests at this table for the most part. I think half of Jordan is, right? Like, most of us are Gentiles, right? But you're Jewish? Yeah, so there might be other Jewish people among us. What's that? You're fully Jewish? Is that what you said? Oh, good. So, but, but I'm a Gentile, for example, so I've been included at the table in a new way. Um, we're all guests in some ways, you know. Our church, our tradition, our lives here is dependent upon this moment. It's dependent on Gentile inclusion into the body. So we then hold the same posture as we try to include others. Now, we think about who is excluded and how do we include them? And we think specifically about racial and sexual minorities and how they're excluded and what this moment, this epiphany means for them. Who is included now? Consciousness about that puts us in line with what God is doing in the world. 
Matthew is writing, again, to a mainly Jewish audience, and this is the way, this is the way that he was trying to influence them. He is challenging their prejudice against Gentiles in this story, but he's also challenging their prejudice against Herod's throne, too, or what it symbolizes. He's challenging who they are loyal to. Matthew is challenging the reigning authority of the people he is writing to. He is challenging Jewish authority. And he is rightly suggesting that with Jesus now as king, they should change their allegiance and undo their prejudice, their allegiance to Herod and their prejudice against outsiders. The Magi were a priestly class cast of astrologers coming from the east, like Babylon or Persian, somewhere in the Parthian Empire. I think I have a slide of this. We have a slide with a map on it. Should be. There's the Magi. This is the one I want. They had a special and mysterious aura around them. They had like sorcerers' powers. And for one reason or another, Rome was actually generally friendly to the Persian astrologists. And even King Herod was friendly to the visitors from the so-called pagan cities. So their arrival was not unusual to the powers. But their encounter with Jesus changes them. It changes how they see the world altogether, who they are loyal to. Matthew doesn't explicitly condone astrology here. Although I was looking up my astrological signs, and it's kind of interesting how this works. So, you know, into the Enneagram, you might as well be into astrology too. Let's put them together. Anyone into the Enneagram? Astrology for evangelicals? So then I'm just doing the regular astrology. You know what I mean? Sorry, no offense if that's like offensive to you. Whether you're an evangelical or you like the Enneagram, it could have cut, cut, cut two different ways there. So Matthew doesn't explicitly condone astrology, but here he extends Christ's inclusion to everybody, all sorts of different ethnicities and faith traditions, and everyone from all over the world can come and kneel before the king. Why can they? Because that kneeling, that bowing, that worshiping changes them and forms them into something new. The announcement of the birth of Jesus as the king of the Jews, the political king of the Jews, disturbs Herod. And it also disturbs all of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem is troubled by this. The announcement of Jesus discomforts Jerusalem and Herod. And it is noteworthy that the discomfort comes from Bethlehem. I think I have another map up here. Yes? That's another picture of the Magi. Let's go to the map following that. So, Jerusalem's here. Bethany's here. This is where Jesus gets his feet um, um, washed by Mary, hangs out with Lazarus. This is where Lazarus dies. Bethlehem's down here. So, south of Jerusalem, small town, not significant, marginalized community. That's where the disruption comes from. Something happens in Bethlehem, away from the center of religious and political power. The marginalized community is where liberation comes from, not the center of political power, Jerusalem. In fact, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jerusalem is the center of antagonism towards Jesus. 
And it changes the Magi when they visit Jesus. It impacts them too, right? Herod wants to know where Jesus is because he's threatened by Jesus. And Herod is like an anxious um, king who's worried about his power in placement in the empire. And when he finds out, when he's threatened by Jesus, his rule becomes tyrannical, even more tyrannical. Powers are, when they're threatened by God, lash out worse. Sometimes that lashing out can, th- can make us feel like we're doing the wrong thing, like we're not following God, when that anxiety and that attack becomes personal or more tyrannical. But that's what happens, right, when, when you confront how power works. His rule becomes more tyrannical. He decrees to kill all the Bethlehem boys. Common motif in the Bible. Same thing happens to Moses when Pharaoh is threatened by him in Exodus. The parallels here suggest that Matthew is offering a new story, a new Passover, a new way of liberation. Maybe even a retelling. Herod is not only threatened by the rule of Jesus, he's also threatened by its legitimacy. He is troubled in the same way that word troubled. Herod is troubled. Same verb that, um, that is used to describe Mary when the angel visits her. Mary is troubled too, or Zechariah is troubled. God disturbs us with God's presence, and it's up to us to respond to that disturbance with faith or in fear. Herod goes the fear route. Mary and Zechariah much differently. It's the same word happens in Nebuchadnezzar in, a, in Daniel 2 when Nebuchadnezzar has dreams that trouble him and where he actually brings the Magi, which is where Matthew is getting the term from, to him to interpret his dreams. It's a little side kind of biblical nerd point if you care. The Magi tell the current king of the Jews, Herod, that they found a child who is born the king of the Jews. That's a direct challenge to Herod. The Gospels are full of direct political challenges to their contemporary moment. And why is this a challenge to Herod? Because he was not born king. This one is born king. He's by birth even a different ethnicity. And he won the throne through violence and conquest. And even though Jesus is the rightful ruler, Matthew knows that the culture and political shift that Jesus is making is not popular among Jewish people who value the stability of a king, who value the stability of the order. Herod's rule was something they valued more than they valued deliverance from Jesus. We often do value gods that were used to being loyal to, kings that were used to being loyal to, more than those who challenged their thrones. And if there's a challenge... Sometimes we revert back to what feels right, what feels good. So if you're a place of power secured by your race or your sexuality is challenged, perhaps you will grow more fidelity towards your race or your sexuality. Challenge whiteness and maybe you become more loyal to whiteness in the moment and you surprise people around you because when we start moving towards becoming a more anti-racist place, suddenly people start acting more racist. We're surprised by that. The Jewish people here are, 
have a fidelity to Herod's throne, and it becomes more exacerbated when Jesus is challenging it and when Matthew tells the story. Herod was certainly a king that brought national pride to the Jewish people. Massive construction projects that gave them honor, that brought pride to the community, even as it was under Roman rule. They, they, they allowed themselves to be overtaxed because the construction projects that Herod was working on, including an aqueduct, was a sign of prosperity, pride, centrality of Judaism again in Jerusalem. Judaism wasn't illegal in Rome. And even though their faith had suffered a lot of uh, Greco-Roman Hellenistic assimilation, most Jews were fine with that. It was only the very radical Jewish people that resisted Hellenist influence or Roman influence. The problem, of course, was that those radical people wanted a pure faith, purer faith, not necessarily a more inclusive faith. And so they weren't looking for a new king, but rather quite an old king. And even those conservative Jewish people weren't welcoming of Jesus either. Here, Matthew is not eschewing assimilation, but rather declaring that Jesus is the one to whom we assimilate. The one to whom we adapt and change. The one who we are to be more alike. Matthew is calling all of us to assimilate towards Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, and we all have a journey that's unique to get there. How Gentiles assimilate to Jesus will be different than how Jews do. It's a different journey. It's not the same. When we reduce this assimilation to personal salvation and we reduce it to a formula that gets us saved, we lose the difference in experiences that different kinds of people have on their way to God. Sometimes we resist assimilation because we're too accustomed to how the world has formed us. But Matthew is suggesting that even the ways that the religious orders have formed us is something that Jesus, in his incarnation and manifestation, disrupts. The star moves. They follow the star like the pillar of fire and cloud in the Old Testament that guided the Jewish people to the promised land. And then the Magi find Jesus, and they're overjoyed, and they worship Jesus, and they, and they give Jesus, they give the king gifts. Ones that are typically kingly gifts, regal gifts, costly, used in royal courts. And then they go home, changed. They go home another way. They're changed. They leave differently. From when they came, they encounter Jesus and they become different. Changed people, their patterns are disrupted. Their encounter with the king changes everything. The Magi need a supernatural experience to keep them, to get them to go home a different way. They need a dream. Matthew's being gracious with his audience, though. If you're not changed, that's okay. You might need a little extra push. You might need a supernatural experiencing following your encounter with God. Because it's hard to see the world differently. It's hard to change. It's hard to move beyond our old patterns. How we used to think about the world. And their encounter with this king changes everything. They can grow in a different way. They can move in a different way. And everyone's encounter with this king changes them, changes the story. It opens, 
it up to all of us. No longer are we loyal to our ethnicities, our skin color, our sexuality, our upbringings, our families of origin, our traditions. A new family is made here, a new humanity is made. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. This is a hard environment to change in. It's hard to change. It's hard to grow. It's hard to try something new. It's hard to do things differently. Visiting Jesus is an opportunity to see yourself and the whole world differently, though. The Magi are moved by Jesus, and they go home another way. Jesus has shaped and changed me in numerous ways throughout my life and in numerous ways throughout 2021. My faith became much more than an abstraction or a series of beliefs, much more than doctrine or study, much more than even the disciplines of worship and prayer. Jesus has an effect on who I am. Jesus shapes how I think and feel and live and act. And that's the securest place that my faith can be. A lot of people talk to me about losing faith and... For me, if I lost mine, I'd wonder who I was or how I came to be. Because Jesus has shaped my life and my being so much, has made a sort of claim upon me that I can't let it go, I can't let him go. My faith isn't secure because it's abstractly true. But rather because the person of Jesus is true to me and has been true to me. Can't let go of Jesus because of how Jesus shaped me. And some of you are the same way. The convictions you have, the philosophies that some of you use, the philosophies that I use that sometimes deconstruct my faith come from Jesus too. Jesus is asking me questions about Christianity, Christian supremacy, white supremacy, heteronormativity, all these things that Christianity kind of gave me. Now I'm asking questions about it from the same perspective. It's really interesting that how I change my faith comes from Jesus too. So we're looking for the claim Jesus has made on us and how Jesus has changed us. Let's keep looking for another way to go home, folks. Encounter Jesus, leave change. Circle of Hope can do that too. We can encounter Jesus and go home another way. Change the way we go home, right? Change the scenery, change the attitude, change the patterns, change your mind, change the way you say things and do things. These things are so hard because it's so easy to stay in ruts. Can I be real for just a second with y'all? Just a millisecond. Let my guard down and tell you how I feel for a second. This is the work we're doing as a church right now. We're welcoming Jesus as Lord. We're welcoming out people that we've excluded as outsiders for a long time. And allowing ourselves to assimilate to them like Matthew is asking his audience to when he introduces these pagan wise people, these pagan magi to. Now you have to relate to them, get to know them in order to relate to Jesus. We're forming a new community in our anti-racist work. And yes, the Herods of the church will be threatened by it, but people looking for Jesus 
will find Jesus with us. We're looking for people who are looking for Jesus, who are following the star. May we welcome them and accept them and learn from them and grow from them and may this body grow too. If we just listen to Herod, we will not expand the body. Something has to change. Our new humanity together does not erase our differences. But it unites them, unites us, despite of those differences. We don't all become one. We don't all become the same. We hold our differences together in common. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.